0: Hey everyone, before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Hey, I wanted to start out today, oh thanks, gosh, I wasn't singing, you guys, that was a different group of people. Um, I did want to start out today by just saying thank you. Um, I just hit the four-month mark in my new role. And, oh gosh, you guys, that's not the point. Um, I, I wanted to just take a moment and say thanks, um, especially Sunday mornings. I have been having more fun than a person should be allowed to have. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity to teach, um, grateful for the opportunity to talk about Jesus and to be with you. Um, I also wanted to say thanks haven't gotten to do this with everybody yet, but with many of you um, have gotten to sit over coffees and over dinners, just hanging out, um, getting to know you a little bit. And for the few of you that I've gotten to do that with so far, thanks. Um, this is just so good and so much fun. Thanks for letting me do this. Um, okay, I'm saying that because we've got a weird one today. You can't unsee what's about to happen. And um, so if, if you have a queasy stomach... I mean, you guys, buckle up. <laughs> this is pretty wild, what we're gonna be getting into. We're talking about choices today. Um, if you think about choices, we're, we're choosing things all of the time. I mean, just, just this morning, for the choices that all of us had to make, these aren't even just situational for the ones that you got to do. You, you woke up today and you had to make the choice, am I gonna go to church today or am I not? Am I gonna take a shower or not? And we know who you are. <laughs> What am I going to wear today? What am I going to eat today? Am I going to have coffee or tea? And let's be honest, with most of you, it's the question of how much coffee am I going to have this morning? Who do I say hi to? Where do where do I sit? All, all these choices that go on. And I think at the core of some of that is is the angst of what's going on in a man who's in the Bible. We get his story and it's an incredible story, but he wants to know how this idea of choice works, particularly for God. How does God make choices? And his name is Nicodemus, and he starts on scene in the Bible in the book of John in chapter 3. And if you've got your Bible, you're going to want to turn there. And I think what I want you to do today, if you have your physical Bible with you, we're going to be bouncing around. We've got about six different chunks of Scripture we're going to be skipping over. I want you to stay in this one. Hold your finger here because Nicodemus today is our case study. He's the window that we're going to look through and go, what what is this party that we're going to talk about in just a second? What is this really about? What's going on here? And he's really concerned with choice. Right before this, with what we're going to read, if you would look at the very end of chapter 2, you'll see that there's this comment that's made, Jesus could see into the hearts of the people that he was with. And so when Nicodemus comes on scene in John chapter 3, verse 1, right away, as soon as he gets in front of Jesus, we can just assume Jesus is looking right through this guy and he knows. He knows the questions that he's bringing. He knows the things that are causing him angst in his heart. And this is their encounter. And this, I mean, for sure, if if you've not been around scripture much, if you've not been around Jesus much, this whole interaction, you just find yourself saying, what on earth is happening here? Like this, none of this makes sense. How is Jesus, this sounds so religious. What's going on in this encounter? Jesus is weird. And this is the story. John chapter three, verse one. Now there's a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was a leader of the Jews. A Pharisee at this point, he's a religious leader. He's a pastor. He came to Jesus by night. Remember that, what time of day it is. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Okay, that's the statement he makes. Now watch how Jesus responds. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. What? Jesus, <laughs> like, You're the weirdest conversationalist, Jesus. like, I, I was coming with a compliment. I was easing in the conversation and then just bam! Like, Where are you getting this from? And again, keep in mind, Jesus is just seeing right through people. I mean, we can assume that this whole idea of being born from above that's inside of Nicodemus. And, and he's just really wrestling with like, how does this whole thing, how does this God choosing me, does he choose me? What if he doesn't choose me? And Jesus is looking at him going, ah, Nick, you know what you wanna talk about? You wanna talk about how God makes choices. And the conversation goes on. And Nicodemus, you can tell it's not an awkward thing because Nicodemus just continues in the conversation like, okay, great, we're just gonna go right into it, business front. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? (laughs) This conversation is getting more weird all the time. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above, the wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, totally scratching his head at this point, right? Like he's in it. It's a weird conversation, but he's in it. Says to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answers him and just stands him up. This is a pastor, right? Like, you're a teacher, and yet you don't understand these things, and and I don't think this is judgmental. I don't think this is shame. I do think this is Jesus, like, whispering over this new friend, okay, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. We've told you a story. I've told you who I am, but you're not receiving it. You're not getting it yet, If I told you about earthly things and you don't believe those, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Then we're going to jump down to verse 16. And this one you might be familiar with, John 3, 16. We actually hit this last week too. Jesus says to Nick, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And the conversation comes to a close. And for us, (laughs) reading this whole story going, this is the strangest eavesdrop on a conversation I've had in a long time, because I don't understand anything, what's going on in, in this encounter. What's happening here? And I'm, oh, you guys, you can't unsee what we're about to do. I'm telling you, this is gonna get real weird in just a little bit, but what's going on here is that Nicodemus is asking some questions about a party that we're gonna talk about today. He's wondering about this party called Passover. And um, let, me, let me show you why. And it's gonna take a little bit to get there. My hope, oh my goodness, is that by the time that we're done, that you're just fist pumping. Like I had no idea that the Bible, like, that it was that intricately written. Like that there's that many things going on all at one time that when we stop and go okay this is a weird conversation why what's happening here when we can drill down and go what is ha-? that it just it should just totally mess with us in the best way jesus says you need to be born again how does god make decisions he makes decisions in such a way that he goes everybody gets in on this who wants it you do have to believe you have to choose back but man, here's how God makes, God makes decisions. So what is this Passover thing? How is this at the core of what Nicodemus is doing? Trust me, and we're going to connect these dots. Oh, it's so cool. So if somebody were to ask you, what's the story of Passover. Um, you might start to rattle off an answer. Um, And if you're not familiar with this story in the Bible, don't worry about it. thousands of years before Nicodemus and Jesus are having this conversation. There's this group of people and it's the nation of Israel and they've been enslaved by the nation of Egypt and they've been there for about 400 years. And the story, very briefly, quick flyover version kind of goes like this. God brings out this little boy at the time, this, this young man, his name's Moses, brings him out into the desert. He just kind of waffles out there for a while until God calls him into a space, to a family meeting, and he says, here's what I need you to do. You're gonna be my representative. You're gonna go back into Egypt, and I want you to go straight to the king, straight to the president, and say, you need to let us go party out in the desert, all these Israelite people. We need to go party in the desert for three days. That's what I need you to do. (laughs) It's weird. And so Moses goes and he's chatting with this Pharaoh. And Pharaoh right away is like, no, we're, we're not doing that. And Moses said, are you sure? Because it's God and he's pretty convinced that this is what needs to happen right now. And Pharaoh says, not a snowball's chance. And so the conversation continues and these plagues start to happen. And Moses says ahead of time, this is what will happen next. And so there's there's this this plague of these frogs. Like frogs just come everywhere. And I'm not a reptile guy. Like I'm not an amphibian guy. This is gross. Like even if you are, like you can't take a step without squish, right? Like this is disgusting. Lice end up everywhere. Boils end up on everyone's skin. Livestock die. The water turns to blood. But as the grand finale of this whole thing, every time Moses is coming back to Pharaoh saying, let, let these people go. And Pharaoh says, absolutely not. And so the last one, he comes to him and he says, okay, th- this last plague that's going to hit us, the firstborn of every family on this particular night, you have a choice. You can take the blood of a lamb and you can put it on the doorposts of your home. And if you do that, An angel will pass through town that night and if he sees that blood, the firstborn in your house, they're gonna be fine. But if that blood is not there, that angel will come in and the firstborn of your house will be killed. Please let these people go. And Pharaoh says no. So this night comes and the firstborn and the families that don't have blood on the door, the firstborn are gone, including Pharaoh's firstborn son. The only people who are spared are the ones who have this blood on their door. The next day, Pharaoh calls Moses in, and he says, look, get out of here. I want nothing to do with you anymore. It's a heartbreaking story. Moses and his people, though, they get to leave Egypt. And this, all these parties, I mean, if you've been coming even for a couple weeks, you know all of these parties hinge on this story. They leave Egypt, they cross the Sea of Reeds, they're out in the desert on Mount Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments, there's manna, there's quail, there's all these incredible Bible stories that happen. But that's generally the story of Passover. Now, if you're hearing all that going, yes, yes, that sounds like what I've heard before, yeah. But is there anything else going on? Anything that we may have missed? Anything that we can pay special attention to? Let me invite us to four hints. And again, if you have your Bible, I think I want you to keep your finger on Genesis 3. You can flip if you want to, but as we're talking about this today, I would love for you to just continue to glance down at, at, or sorry, John 3, and, and say, why? Like, what's Nicodemus? How does this relate to Passover at all? But for right now, we're gonna jump over to Exodus 5. And we're gonna read just the first couple verses there. What is going on in this Passover story? What was the point of this whole exercise that God is doing with Pharaoh? And it says this, chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should need him and let that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Okay, what's going on in this story? I think the first thing, God says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, I don't know him. There's a very clear stretch in this entire story that God is saying, I want Egypt to know that I am God. I want Pharaoh to know that I am God. We've got all these Egyptian gods They need to know that I reign supreme, period. And it wasn't necessarily a show of strength. This isn't like divine posturing. I think this is God actively with the heart of a dad saying, I want them to know that I love them too. It's very important to me. So we see uh, Pharaoh right away go, I don't know who this God is. And God is going, I know you don't. I'm... I need to put myself on display so that you know. It's wild when you look at the plagues as they roll, what happens? Each of these plagues is intimately tied. There, there's an Egyptian god of frogs. There's an Egyptian god of water. There's an Egyptian god of health that would relate to boils and of livestock. And it's like with each one of these plagues, God is saying, I'm more strong than this God. I'm more powerful than this God. I'm better Then this God, Pharaoh, don't you see? I am God. And Pharaoh says, I don't know you. But the story, I think one of the most fascinating things is that Pharaoh's not the only one who totally doesn't get what's going on. It's a lot worse. (laughs) The the story, there's, there's a couple verses where it's just like, oh, this is, we're actually in a really dark hole right now. And if you flip over just one more chapter, we'll see it right here in Exodus 6, verse 2 going through verse nine. And it says this, God also spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Okay, this is the whole story. God's just going to throw it down for Moses and then say, go remind Israel all everything I'm about to tell you. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I didn't tell them my name. I also established my covenant with them, a promise, to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they resided as aliens. I have also heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are holding as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from your slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. I will make you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Now you would think That when Abraham takes this story back to Israel and reminds them, hey, for hundreds of years, God has been promising us that he's gonna take care of us. And the day has come, y'all, it's time to go. You would think it would just erupt, like all out ballistic, here's the start of the party, here's the next verse. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their cruel slavery. They've been busted down so hard, they've forgotten their story. But worse than forgetting their story, they've forgotten God's goodness. They've forgotten how powerful He is. It's like it's like scrolling through their Instagram feed. It's just one more picture of whatever. Like It really doesn't matter that much. And I can't imagine the mental space that Moses goes home with that night of like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Pharaoh doesn't know what's going on. These people don't know what's going on. God tells me to keep telling everybody what's going on and nobody cares. What a weird story. But I think there's more. If we want to understand what this Passover story is about, I think there's another hint of what's going on. And this one, we're going to skip over to Exodus chapter 7, one more chapter. And this is what it says there. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be like your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring my people, the Israelites, company by company out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand and bring the Israelites out from among them. It really is this final act. But I hope as you're seeing these chapters, you're really starting to see God's purpose in this story. You have to know that I am God. I am that powerful. I'm more powerful than these Egyptian gods. Pharaoh, I'm more powerful than you. Israel, I'm bigger than your story, but I am your story. You all need to be reminded of who I am. This time, I'm giving you my name. This time, I'm reminding you of the promises I've made. This time, my sleeves are rolled up and we're getting after it. And I think if we really wanna go for the gold, this is where keep that finger on John 3. What's going on in John three? Why is Nicodemus so worried about being born? We gotta go back to Exodus chapter four. And I know this will be our last touch. I know I'm skipping around a lot, but hang with me as we're trying to string together, what's this Passover story about? We've gone chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. But if we go back and go, what was the chapter that kinda kicked this all off? Like if God had an introductory statement to Passover, what was the introduction cuz that should tell us what his main purpose was in Exodus 4 in verse 21 he makes this introductory statement and the lord said to moses when you go back to egypt see that you perform before pharaoh all the wonders that i have put in your power but i will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go then you shall say to pharaoh and man pay attention to this this is weird Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I said to you, let my son go that he may worship me, but you refused to let him go, and now I will kill your firstborn son. Okay, so what's in the introduction? Firstborn, firstborn. We're really hitting this idea of firstborn. Israel is God's firstborn. We have this, this party that's called Passover, but it's kind of a weird name, right? Because there, it was actually just one of 10 plagues that happened. How can we only name it after the last plague? I, w- I would submit to you, and I think it's really clear, the reason why we call it Passover is because this is the whole reason why this whole series of events started and finished. Because God is looking at this people group and he's saying, this is my firstborn son. I want them back. You've held them long enough. But it's weird because Israel's not the firstborn. The nation of Israel was, was the descendants of a family, the, the family of Jacob, but, but Israel, that name, comes from the son, hit one of his sons, Joseph. Joseph was the 11th born son. Of Jacob. He's not the firstborn son. And this nation, Israel, now carries his name. His name changed from Joseph to Israel later in the story. This isn't his firstborn son. And what's more, when we talk about firstborn sons, we're talking about individual people. God's talking about a whole nation of people. What's going on? Why? Why? What's up with this firstborn stuff? If we go all the way back, traditionally, Abraham, who kinda gets this first piece of promise and covenant, he's not the firstborn son. Why this firstborn language? I think if we wanna understand why the firstborn is so important to God, we have to understand what, what does a firstborn do? Why does that particular order in the birth order matter so much? And there's a couple things that are just, you ask anyone who understands this culturally and they'll say, these are the main things and there's even more that comes underneath this, but there's kind of four main things that a firstborn son does. The first is that they just carry on the family name but it's, it's more than just the name. It wouldn't just be Krieger. It, w- it would be that you carry on the culture of your family. And, and not just how we do things, but like the heart and the guts. What is, our f- what is our family? And the firstborn has to reflect those things. The second thing, you carry on the family business. You will be taking over, probably with your brothers and sisters, a family business, but you're going to be leading this thing. The third thing is that when you take over the family business, you do not take a lot of right and left turns because you've been watching how dad does it. And you learn from dad, how do we run the family business? Who are our family connections? How does this work? And then finally, and this is really cool about a firstborn, a firstborn would receive a double portion of the inheritance. If you had three sons, the way you would divvy out your inheritance, would you'd actually make it into four parts. And the youngest two would get one part, and the oldest gets two parts. That's amazing. And some of that is because you're going to need some fuel if you're going to be able to carry on the family business and to be able to do it like dad. But, but now, as we look at that and go, okay, now God is wanting to choose Israel as his firstborn. Why? Well, I think it's pretty clear. God's saying, well, I I need someone who's gonna continue this family business. I I want somebody who's going to reflect who I am to the world around. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm not dying, but gosh, like who we are, the guts of who we are, the core of our family, it needs to be known to the world. I'm just looking for the first son, the first kid that I wanna give all of this to and then through them, I want them to tell all the other kids what I'm about and, and who I am. Now, if you want to make something a firstborn, that's an 11th born. If you want to make something a firstborn that, like Abraham, is probably a secondborn, how do you reshuffle the cards on this? And maybe now you're starting to see Nicodemus' angst. Can you be born again? Like, you can't, Jesus. How is God choosing this nation that's not the first, to be the first? And again, you guys, this is so, this disclaimer, this is not Zach's thoughts on stuff. This is the text. Where else in life do you see something that's in a hurry these people on this Passover night as this angel is coming through, God said, you need to be in traveling clothes. You have a rod in your hand. You're gonna eat this meal standing up because as soon as I say go, you're off like a shot. Where else do we see something in a hurry? They were told to put this blood on the door of their house. And if you, if you read it in context, their understanding would not just be it's the side and the top and the side. I mean, they're going full 360 on this thing. So where else in life do you see something that's in a hurry that's going out through a door and there's blood involved in this process? And more than that, where do you see something that's in a hurry that's going out a door that's covered in blood and they're walking into a space of freedom or life for the first time? Now, (laughs) this is delicate. This is an agrarian culture. At three years old, some of you, especially women, are like, I, "I know where you're going with this thing." In an agrarian culture, by three years old, any kid had seen multiple things be born. At this point in their life, this was not weird for them. This is real weird for like kids who have grown up in the suburbs and gone to Bible college and have been in nonprofit world for a while. Like this is sketchy stuff. Like I feel weird. Like I need to cover myself as I tell you this information. But it's literally talking about childbirth. This door is a reflection. I mean, as you look at what this thing would have looked like, you can't unsee this. (laughs) But God is saying, look, you're you're not my firstborn now, but I've chosen you. And if you're willing to believe in this choice that I've made for you, I want you to be reborn so that you can be my firstborn because we've got a family business to run. And this family business brings hope to the world. This family business reminds you of who you are, that you're not a slave, but that you're free. And if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this. You, you literally will go through this experience of rebirth. Now, We were joking a little bit before the sermon today. Like, we do these rebirthing exercises in our culture today. It's like super weird. I'm so glad that when Jesus was like, we're going to do something similar, he was like, baptism, let's do baptism. Like, he's not talking about like, get in a bag and crawl out. That's That's so weird. But that's the point of this story. That's the point of Passover. Your life as you've lived it so far, no, it, it doesn't work anymore. And if you're going to be who you're supposed to be, if you're going to be who you've always been intended to be, you've got to be reborn into something. And it's not just willy nilly something. You've got to be reborn to be God's firstborn. So, what's going on in John? Because we have this Nicodemus who's coming by night. When did this angel pass through the town looking at the doorposts? Which one has blood? Which one? It was at nighttime. He's coming at night to Jesus, who sees right through him, and the question that he sees burning inside of Nick, am I a firstborn? Did God choose me? Jesus says right away, look, he chooses those who have been born again. Nick, you've you've got to just be born again, and Nicodemus, who's this pastor, is looking back at him saying, what are you talking about? And with this story shared between them culturally, they are both Jews. Jesus just smiles back at I could just see the wiliness in his face. And he says, you're a teacher and you don't understand this story? Like this is the most famous, important party that we have. And you don't understand what's going on in it? Nick, let me tell you a little bit more of this story. What he finds, as he continues to follow Jesus, what we see in him, is that he doesn't totally immediately get it. But Nicodemus, if you know anything about the story of Jesus, he doesn't do well with the pastor types. It's super ironic. These are the people that generally, in the end, seek his death. And there's at least one Pharisee that we get his name, that he's actively campaigning, he's actively loving, he's actively with Jesus, and you know his name it's Nicodemus, because I think over his story and over his time with Jesus, he started to understand his need for this Jesus. I cannot imagine the look on his face as he's standing at the base of the cross, watching the blood of Jesus pour out, and finding himself going, I've been afraid my whole life that God was not gonna choose me. I didn't know what blood to put over my life so that I could be reborn again. But this is God's son. This is God's lamb. And it's his blood that now covers the doorway to a new life for me. I I just can't, man, it must have been such an incredible moment for him to go. In chapter two, I heard that, and now we're in chapter the teens. And it's crashing in on me, what's going on. Oh, it's so cool. I'm gonna bring out the band as we land the party on this. What's the point of this holiday? God is still in the business of choosing. He's in the business of choosing us. And his choosing is funny. Do you notice that in the Exodus story, in this Passover story, the angel never goes inside the homes to really check out the folks? What's in their hearts? What are they doing? No. He just looks at do you have the blood of the lamb on the outside or not? And if you do, you're spared. Man, he chooses to see by, what, by looking at what's on your door. So what's on your door? I think the story is still happening today, but we're gonna read in just a second. Hopefully it blows our minds that much more. Remember that John 3.16 said for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him whoever paints their door with him will not die but live eternally the next verse which is so often forgotten because it doesn't fit on the sign in the end zone is verse 17 God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him one final thing And this is just mind-blowing to me would you believe it if i told you that the night that this conversation is happening between nicodemus and jesus is passover night for those of you that have been holding your finger on john chapter 3 look up just two verses to john chapter 2 verse 23 it says this when he was in jerusalem during the passover festival Many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part would not entrust himself to them because he knew all the people and needed no one to testify about anyone. For he knew what was in everyone. It's Passover night. Nicodemus is scurrying through the streets, burning in his heart. Is God gonna choose me? Nick, whose blood is on your door? It's the blood of Jesus. And Jesus smiles at this teacher. He says, don't you understand? And he invites him to follow him for years. If you're in a spot today where you're like, I, I've never really understood these stories. But man, life is crushing. I need hope that there's something more. I have this impending death that's coming my way. I have the shame that feels like a ton of bricks on my back. Where do I go and what do I do? Because I feel like there's this angel, there's this thing that's just chasing me, waiting to crush me. Jesus says, look, it is not about what you've done or what's been done to you. Those things matter. But what matters most is the blood of Jesus for you not to condemn you, but to save you. And it's good news. There's an order to a meal that they have every single time that Jewish people celebrate Passover. It's startling to see how the person of Jesus shows up in this story. We are going to get to do that this coming Friday. I would love, if you haven't decided yet if you want to come or not, man with this story as the backdrop to what happens at that meal. It's gorgeous. But I want all of you to know as you walk out the doors today, as you look up at the sun and as you drive home, I hope that there's something in you that's grinning. Because if there's anything we see in the story of Nicodemus on Passover night, it's a dude who's been wondering the whole time, does God see me? Does God love me? Does he choose me? And the answer he finds is yes. Will you choose him back? I think it's a lovely response to hear this story, to hear this news, to weave it all together and go, let's sing. we love to worship this God. So for those that are able, I would invite you to stand and let's sing to him and about him.